Today we're going to be tackling the topic of divorce. And I want to say a few words before I begin because this is obviously a sensitive subject. There are different groups of people when it comes to the subject of divorce. You may find yourself in the group that is concerned about the state of marriage and how it's going in our society. And, and you want nothing more than to hear me make a dominant point that commitment is important and vows should be kept no matter what. Another group wants to know how you can justify getting out of your marriage. Or you may be struggling in a marriage and to be honest, you're not really sure what you want to hear about this topic. Or you may identify with those who are not yet married and want to hear a little more about what awaits you in the future. Some of you experienced the divorce of your parents when you were a kid and you still feel the sadness and the, the pain and the hurt. Some of you have been through the pain of divorce as a husband or a wife, maybe even been to a church or two that have told you that divorce is the unforgivable sin and made you feel like you are damaged goods in some way. The sad truth is that the church has the ability to shoot its wounded sometimes. So it is my desire that this message offer a lot of hope that it will offer some healing because I, as I've said before, I've really never known anyone who walked down the aisle thinking to themselves, you know, I plan on getting a divorce. Some of you are thinking that this is a controversial topic and you're wondering if we really should be talking about it at all. And my response would be, were you here last week? Last week when we talked about cutting off body parts? Truthfully, we think that the church is the one place you should be able to talk about everything. And if Jesus addressed the topic, then we should too, because he's promised us that through the Holy Spirit, he's going to walk with us every step of the way. We're right in the middle of this series titled Big Butts of the Bible. And in this series, we're looking at this little word, this three-letter word, but, that has the power to change everything. Jesus addresses some topics, and he kind of butts into some sensitive areas in our lives. And as we've seen in the past weeks, but is a pretty power, powerful word, and no one uses that word in a more powerful way than Jesus. In week one, we looked at what Jesus had to say about anger. Not a lot of fun to talk about. Last week, we looked at what Jesus had to say about lust and about adultery and about sexual immorality. And this week, we're looking at what Jesus has to say about divorce. So, as you can see, the topics just keep getting easier each week. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. This is what uh, is commonly called as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we look at these two verses of Scripture. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Wow, that, that's a pretty big butt Jesus puts right out, out there. He says something that they are very familiar with. They'd all heard about this idea of a certificate of divorce, and then you're on your way. And then Jesus says, but, but I tell you. Now let me try to explain the historical context before we jump into any conclusions about what Jesus is saying. You see, back in the ancient world, before Jesus, and even before most of the Old Testament was written, people in this region were governed by what is called the Hammurabi Code. And basically under this code, a husband could divorce his wife anytime he wanted, for any reason, by simply walking out the door. And there, as a woman, you would be left with your kids, left with no money because he wasn't required to give you any money. And if you were fortunate enough to have boys and they were old enough to help out and do some of the work, you might be able to make ends meet, make a profit, and survive. But even so, what this code or law said was that your former husband could return at any time. He could reclaim you, reclaim the children, reclaim all the property, any profit that you may have made. 
and you would belong to him. That was the code of the day. And what that means is that if you're a wife and your husband left you, even though technically you could remarry, the reality is that no man would ever marry you if he knew your husband could return at any point and take you away. So if you were a woman in that day and age and your marriage broke up, you were basically stuck. Women had basically no rights in this world. That is, until Moses came along and gave the law that God passed down. So when Jesus says, you have heard it said, he was referring to this law from God through Moses that was given to protect woman, women. And it was clear that God's intent for marriage was that it was supposed to last forever. This was not supposed to end until someone passed away. That was God's intent in this whole relationship thing between a husband and a wife. But because God knew that the world in which we live in is broken, he knew that till death do us part may not always be the case. And so here's what the scripture has to say on what to do if divorce was ever to occur. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, it says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him about something because he finds something indecent about her, and we'll get into what that's all about, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, that's what Jesus is referencing here in Matthew chapter 5, he gives it to her and sends her from his house. Now, this certificate that Moses and Jesus are referring to protected women because it meant that the first husband could not come back and reclaim her if they had a certificate of divorce. And every one of these certificates basically said, you're free to get remarried. Now, that raises a lot of questions. What were the grounds for divorce? Because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says unfaithfulness. Were there any other grounds for divorce in that day and age or in the Jewish law? Well, over time, the, the rabbis, who were the teachers of the day, they looked at these passages in the Old Testament, and they used them to govern over divorce proceedings. Now, why is that important? Well, what we need to understand is that in the Jewish world, after a law was given, there was no such thing as a divorce that did not include the right for someone to get married again. That was the idea behind the certificate. And it's also important, before we move on, to understand a little more background. While there were lots of different views about divorce, there were two predominant views in Jesus' day. The most predominant view was taken from Deuteronomy 24, which we read. And remember that passage mentions the grounds for divorce as indecency. Now, what you need to know about that word indecency is in the original Hebrew, it would literally read like this, for the cause of sexual immorality. And so that led to a lot of debate about the issue. The rabbis would debate that maybe Moses should have just said sexual immorality is grounds for divorce, but he didn't say that. He said for the cause of sexual immorality, and everybody wanted to know, well, what's the cause? And as you might imagine, the men were able to come up with all sorts of causes. There was one rabbi named Hillel, and he was the one who held the most prominent view in that day and age. He lived during the time of Jesus, and he believed that you could divorce a woman for only two reasons. Reason number one, for sexual immorality. And reason number two, for any other cause a man could come up with. <laughs> that was the rule. That's what they decided the law meant. You, you see, the religious leaders of the day were looking for loopholes. They were looking for a way to, to skirt around the letter of the law and still be okay with God. They wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. So as a result, these rabbis, these men, they began to list all the different causes they believed a husband could use to divorce his wife under this reason number two. Here are just a few reasons listed as to why a husband could divorce his wife. If she spoiled his dinner. If she walked around her, her house with her hair unbound because that was considered to be improper. If she argued in a loud enough voice to be heard by the neighbors. 
If she rented two consecutive chick flicks from Netflix or Redbox, it was over. That was it. Here is an actual quote from that day, an actual rabbi interpreting this cause regarding divorce. His name was Rabbi Akaba, and he writes, If a husband finds another woman more pleasing in appearance, he may divorce his wife. She starts to look a little old, gains a little weight, and someone else is younger and looks better. Time to move on. And so as you can imagine, this whole divorce thing was getting a little out of control. And this any-cause divorce quickly became the most popular cause of divorce by men in the Jewish culture. And it is with this knowledge that Jesus throws this big butt right in there. Jesus says, no way, you are not understanding God's heart and why it was that God said this. So here's the problem as I see it. Most of us see marriage as being this door that leads to eternal happiness. And behind that door, we're going to find this eternal happiness. It's kind of like the game show, Let's Make a Deal, back in the 60s and 70s. There would be people who would have something, usually cash, and the game show host would say, hey, you can trade that which you have for whatever's behind door number one, door number two, or door number three. The choice is up to you. And usually, they would trade hoping that whatever's behind the door they were going to choose was just simply amazing. And I think a lot of us go into marriage that exact same way, that getting married is going to make us happy. When Michelle and I were married uh, a little over 17 years ago, I had not yet seen her on the day of our wedding. And when she appeared and started walking down the aisle toward me, it was a good thing my dad was right there because seeing her almost literally knocked me off my feet. She looked amazing. I was so excited to get married because being with Michelle, well, it made me happy. And I was just like everyone else. I believe that behind that door of marriage, there was going to be happiness and eternal bliss. Now understand, in so many ways, my life is so much better because I've had the privilege of being married to Michelle. But I also know that marriage makes life a lot more complicated. It makes it more difficult and more demanding. And then you throw kids into the mix and it's just that much more challenging. And I think many of us, somewhere between the honeymoon and anniversary number one or number two, start thinking, well, wait a second. You were supposed to make me happy all the time, and I'm not happy all the time. You're not making me happy. You're not making me as happy as I thought I would be. In fact, sometimes you just really tick me off. You don't cater to my every need. And as a result, too often, usually by year five or so, we say, hey, either you need to change, or I'm going to go check out what's behind door number two. That's just how we are. And as a result, we go to counseling, and, and we're upset, and we, we feel like, that it's not fair what they do, and it's not fair what they say, and they're inconsiderate. We have all these things that we're frustrated about, and they may be very legitimate things that we're frustrated about. But under the surface, what we're oftentimes really saying is, you know what? I'm not happy. They're not making me happy all the time. Now, here's the part that I think we all need to understand. God's purpose for marriage is not first and foremost your happiness. Think about that for a minute. You, you know what the number one problem that people come to me with, uh, honestly, they're just not happy. They're not happy with their job. They're not happy with their marriage. They're not happy with their kids. They're not help, happy with the church. But I've yet to find in Scripture where the point of this life is happiness. Joy, yes, but joy is very different from happiness. Joy is something that's experienced in spite of what's going on in life. Happiness is really pretty selfish. It's, it's because of what's going on in life. And if you're simply looking for happiness, you could pretty much bank on the fact that at some point you're not going to be happy. And yes, that includes marriage, too. I read this quote from the 1970 movie titled Lovers and Other Strangers. The lead is played by B. Arthur. You may know her as the tall one from the Golden Girls. Uh, in this movie, her son comes to her and says that 
he and his wife are going to get a divorce. And the reason they're going to get a divorce is because they're not happy anymore. And here's what she says in response to that. She says, don't keep looking for happiness. It will only make you miserable. Isn't that a great line? Don't keep looking for happiness. It will only make you miserable. There was a study done by a non-religious group called the Marriage Research Council. And from 2000 to 2005, using 12 separate quality life indicators, they discovered that people who are unhappily married were actually no happier if they got a divorce than those that stayed together. What they discovered was that divorce did not reduce depression. It did not raise self-esteem. It did not improve the self-control of a person's life. It did not necessarily help financially. Oftentimes, it had an adverse effect financially. And it was found to be true regardless of age or race or gender or income. Now we hear that and our immediate response is to think, yeah, but I'm the exception to the rule. If I would have just picked a more successful door number two or a, or a more attractive door number three, then I would be happy. But that's just simply not the case. Getting out of an unhappy marriage is not what brings you happiness. And it's important to understand that. So is Jesus saying that once you get married, happy or not, no matter how bad it gets, you're just stuck? Is that what he's saying? That's a good question. In fact, I think that's a really good question. Jesus does say in Matthew chapter 5 that marital unfaithfulness is grounds for divorce. But I don't think he was saying that it's the only grounds for divorce. He was addressing a predominant view in his day. In fact, Paul later writes in 1 Corinthians 7 that another ground for divorce is abandonment. Now, because we are you know, bound by human nature, because that's who we are, some of you are taking notes and you're making a list of reasons for divorce. And so far, you have abandonment and you have sexual infidelity. You're making a list because, well, you want to know the outs. And I just want to say, if that's how you're viewing this subject, then you're missing the point. You see, if we're just trying to figure out how you can justify getting out, you've missed it. You see, what we have in the Bible is not some exhaustive list of, of how we can get out of stuff. That's not how it works. I don't believe Jesus is saying that you're, you're stuck in a marriage unless your spouse cheats on you. But, and I want to be very careful because I realize that I couldn't begin to speak into every nuance and everyone's situation. But I also think that Jesus is saying that you can't just go out and get a divorce simply because it's become too difficult or because you're no longer happy. I don't think that's what Jesus would want. You see, he's about bringing people together. He's about restoring relationships, not tearing them apart. There's something to be said for what God has joined together, let man not separate. Just because you can divorce doesn't mean that it's ultimately God's will for you. I would even say it's true in the area of, of someone cheating in their relationship. Divorce is permitted, but it doesn't have to be done. If that person has made a mistake and has demonstrated that they're repentant and they've made a change, forgiveness can be extended. But don't misunderstand me. If they're repeat offenders and not willing to change, you are not a doormat. You're not. But understand, what Jesus wants us to get away from, I think, is this legalistic mindset of, how can I get out of this and still be okay with God? This is the very thing that Jesus is trying to, to get away from with this, but. You have heard it said, but, I tell you. Jesus is speaking against this idea of looking for a way to get out. That's what these men were trying to do. They were trying to have their cake and eat it too. They devised basically a legislative way to commit adultery. And I don't think we can get past the, the letter of the, of the law regarding divorce uh, very easily, but we need to. We need to get past it and look instead at how God really feels about it. 
maybe if we do that, we'll, we'll see it a little differently. The book of Malachi tells us how God feels about divorce. Malachi chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit. And do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Now that's pretty strong language. It's really kind of harsh. But, but what I want to make sure you are not hearing is that God hates divorced people. That's just not true. God hates divorce because of what it does to divorced people, divorced families, children of divorced families. He hates it because it hurts his children. He hates it for the same reason you and I hate it. It's destructive. And regardless of, of who you are, you may believe in the Bible, you may want to follow Jesus with all your life, or maybe you don't believe in the Bible at all. But I think we can all agree that divorce creates pain. Divorce is not God's intent or design. It wreaks havoc and some of us know that very personally. At the very least, we, we know someone who's experienced this. It's, it's easy to see why God hates divorce. And so when we hear Jesus' words on this topic, we really need to understand the background. And we need to understand how God feels about it. Now, there, there are some of you here this morning, and you're thinking that divorce is where your relationship is headed. Now, my prayer for you is that you would hear God's truth about marriage before you make any decisions. Because what if the truth about marriage is, instead of it being like a door to happiness, what if instead it is more like a mirror? What if that's more of God's design? What if God created marriage to be like a full length or even a 360 degree mirror that reflects back to you all the ways he wants you to change and he wants you to grow? You know, when I first got married, um, I was pretty cocky. In fact, one of the reasons Michelle was initially not too interested in me was because I had this air of cockiness about me. Everything else was perfect. I, I was often called Goose from Top Gun, and I had the mustache-only look to prove it. I just graduated from college. I had a job. I was a pretty good catch. I was ready to walk through that door of happiness. But what I've seen over the years has been my reflection in that mirror. What I saw was selfishness and arrogance. What I saw was me. Now, of course, I expected Michelle not to be self-centered. After all, how could she be self-centered and still make everything about me? She needed to give all that up, and she needed to make me happy. But after I walked through that door, I knew that it wasn't going to be the way I had always thought it was going to be. So over the past 17 years, it's been a mirror. And I find that the things that I find frustrating in Michelle, honestly, they're really just a reflection of myself. Living with someone 24-7 has a way of bringing those things out, doesn't it? It brings out sides of ourselves that we really don't like. And marriage is tough. Because even when it's a great marriage, like my marriage to Michelle, it will at times reflect back our worst features. And ultimately, I think it's part of God's design. The tension that exists in every marriage, perhaps that tension has a purpose. None of us are finished. None of us have arrived. God is not done with us. And Perhaps that tension helps us to know where to grow and how to change. There's a great book called Sacred Marriage written by Gary Thomas. And I think Gary, Gary really nails it when he tries to explain all of this. Listen to what he writes. Any situation that calls me to confront my own selfishness has enormous spiritual value. And I have slowly begun to understand that the real purpose in marriage may not be happiness as much as it is holiness. Not that God has anything against happiness or that happiness and holiness are by nature mutually exclusive, 
But looking at marriage through the lens of holiness has put it into an entirely new perspective for me. You see, the problem for most of us is that we can get so fixated on the other person's flaws in our marriage mirror that we begin to get angry and we get frustrated and we get bitter and eventually we get to the point where we just can't stand it anymore. We, we just don't want to do it anymore. But what I think Jesus is trying to tell us, not only here but in other places throughout the scripture, is what we are really seeing is our own reflection more than we do see the reflection of our spouse. And if I look at my reflection, then I will begin to see areas in our relationship where I need to grow and where I need to change. So let me ask you, are you looking at the reflection of your marriage? If so, what is God asking you to change? What is he challenging you to change? How is he challenging you to grow? Where do we go from here? Well, let me start wrapping up by addressing a few different groups of people in the room. First and foremost, if you're here this morning and you're already divorced, I want you to please hear me. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a divorced person. He sees a child of God, and he loves you. He absolutely loves you. No matter what anyone else or what any other church may have told you, God loves you. His desire is for you to have a life-changing relationship with him. That's true for all of us. God wants a life-changing relationship with each and every one of us to accept him, to, to walk with him, to worship him. It's true of all of us. Others, if you find yourself in the middle of a divorce right now, God wants to walk with you. He wants to be by your side, and he wants you to look for him and look to him for guidance and direction. He wants you to depend upon him and his people. And again, the reason God hates, hates divorce is the same reason you and I hate it. It hurts the people we love. There are also some of you here today that are not married. And to you, I just want to challenge you to decide right now that you're not going to go out there just looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, but instead you're going to focus your attention on becoming Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we're so caught up in looking for the person who's going to make me happy that we forget that the only thing that will really bring us joy is becoming more like Jesus Christ. And if we're more focused on who God wants us to become, I'm pretty confident that whether you're married or not, you're going to have a fulfilling life. Those of you in the room who are thinking about getting married to someone and you yourself know Jesus and have made a commitment to him, but the other person in your life doesn't know Jesus, I want to encourage you. I want to say this as strongly as I possibly can. Don't get married to someone who doesn't share the same ultimate faith commitment to Jesus Christ. Don't do it. Now, I know I just made some people upset, but marriage is difficult enough when both spouses are trying to be like Jesus Christ. And the Bible makes it very clear that if you marry someone who does not share your commitment to him, that your life has the potential to be more difficult. The Bible refers to it as being unequally yoked. Lastly, to those in the room who are married, what I hope for you is ultimately the same thing I hope for Michelle and myself. That your marriage will not come to end in some cold courtroom. My hope is that my marriage and yours will only come to an end when we've been married for 50 plus years and God sees fit to call one or both of us home. And if I happen to go first, I hope that Michelle will always remember that she has my heart. That Michelle will remember our first date, which was a double date to Garfield's and how I fell asleep on the floor as the four of us were back at her house watching a movie. I was so very romantic. That she'll remember our first kiss when we were on her front porch and I asked her, may I kiss you? To which she replied, do you want to? 
that she would remember our honeymoon in Colorado and the amazing cabin that we had all to ourselves. That she would remember the birth of our children and how we watched them grow up together. How we watched them graduate to go and pursue their own dreams. And how we happily shared special days with our grandkids. But mostly, that she would remember how together we followed God's amazing adventure in our life, trying all the way to be more and more like Christ. And no, we didn't always do it perfect, but we were always trying. We were always loving each other. We were always going through it together. And if I go first, I want her to remember our last anniversary, our last date, our last kiss. Because I know those are the things that I will remember if I'm left behind. I genuinely want to leave behind a lifetime of memories, not just for Michelle, but for our children and our grandchildren. That's my hope for us. That's my hope for you. And I think that's what God wants for us as well. So maybe today, if you're married, can I tell you what you maybe came to hear? Don't give up. Don't give up. Marriage is not easy. It's extremely difficult. It's complicated. It's difficult. And at times, it's a lot of work. But it is so worth it. It helps us become who God wants us to be. And I believe that. And if you'll begin to see marriage as more than just a door prize to happiness and see it more like a mirror, a mirror that's going to help each and every one of us become the best, best versions of ourselves, then I think we'll have a shot. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would help us to see marriage for what it was designed to be. Something that promotes growth and change, that we're gradually becoming more of who you want us to be. God, I pray that you would help those people who are struggling and feel like there's no hope. God, would you draw them close to you and let them find their strength in you. God, for those that are single and, and wonder if you have anyone out there in mind for them, I pray that you would be be with them and you would remind them that they're whole and complete in you and they're made in your image and that you love them whether they're single or married and that you're going to help them through the process to be who you want them to be. I pray for the people in the room who have gone through a divorce and they're still in pain. I pray that they would find love and grace and forgiveness in your arms that Together, God, that, that you're helping them walk forward. I, I pray that we would all learn to have your heart. We wouldn't try to find easy outs to anything. But we would read your word and read your truth. And we will try to draw as close to you as we possibly can. God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you're with us always. Thank you that we can always depend on you. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.